0: Well that first reading, actually, is a huge one from Daniel chapter 7, The Visions of the Four Beasts. Sorry, if you get this in the right place, it doesn't wobble. (laughs) It's the floor that's the problem, not this. Um, It's a most strange vision. It makes you wonder sort of uh, what Daniel had eaten before he went to bed that night, sort of whether it was uh, um, some cheese that was a bit off or something. just to recap in brief headlines as to what it is, Daniel has this awful vision of four particular monsters, uh, that are beasts that have arisen out of the sea, and they're, they're horrible in all sorts of ways. He then has a vision of one that he calls the Ancient One or the Ancient of Days, sitting on a throne in judgment on all of these monsters. There's then a little bit about what happens to the monsters... And Daniel, by this stage, is thoroughly confused um, and says to one of the, uh, as it were the, uh, an angel who was with him at the time, can you explain what all this is about? Um, and so he gets a bit of an explanation. But at the end of it, he still says, um, so, uh, I didn't get any more sleep that night and I was absolutely terrified, sort of paraphrasing what it says. I don't know whether any of you have dreams, or whether you've had bad dreams. Um, The horrors all around us today, I need to move this back here, otherwise when we get to the intercessions (laughs) the microphone will be miles away. Um, There's the horrors (coughs) in Ukraine at the moment, we see on our news. Dreadful destruction. They try to shield you on the television. You don't generally see the bodies that regard that as a bit too difficult um, for a television audience, but you're told they're there, and sometimes you see a little bit of evidence of it. We have horrors in our society. We have human beings doing dreadful things to each other. (coughs) There's an evil deep inside us in some way that comes out a bit like these monsters that Daniel saw in his dream. How do you explain the school shootings so often in the States? How do you explain? Why is it that humans do these dreadful things to each other? (coughs) And as Christians you might ask, well, um, isn't the world meant to be getting better? Didn't Jesus come to bring peace? Didn't Jesus come usher in a new world order and we wonder why part of this reading turned up um, on all souls all saints day and it was coupled with a revelation which was similarly apocalyptic as well uh, and you've got to if you like it's Daniel part 2 sometimes in part of, of Revelation but there's one question that they never, neither Daniel nor John in the writing to asks or expects to be answered and that's why does God permit evil, why have you allowed this to happen? It's just accepted, this is the way the world is and God will provide a solution but will not necessarily answer uh, the question why. You'll get how and when but not why. So there's an interpretation given to Daniel, and it's an interesting one because it's one that actually is important for us. And one like the Ancient of Days sits on the throne. It's clearly a glory sort of uh, vision. And there is this um, vision sort of, uh, whose hair was clothing was white as snow and hair like the head of pure wool. Throne was fiery flames and the wheels of burning fire. It was terrifying, but it was actually also good in that sense. And the beast is put to death. And the body of the beast is burnt. And the really horrible one at the end, if you, uh, uh, if you heard of it, the, the beast had, had got 10 horns. And of these 10 horns, there was some sort of eruption among the horns. And another horn comes up, and three of them get sort of uh, uh, ripped up by their roots and thrown out. It's all really quite nasty stuff, um, uh, uh, enough to give Daniel a bit of a shock. Um, And that one's burnt, burnt. And, but the other ones who've got dominion and they've got some power, they have their dominion taken away. But the interesting phrase in, in it that Daniel heard from the Ancient One is their power is taken away, but they're going to be allowed to be around for a time and a season. In other words, war and terror are going to continue. You're not going to get rid of all the evil in the world just like that. It's still going to happen, but they have no ultimate power. I remember an illustration uh, given to me uh, years ago uh, by the rector of the church I went to as a student, um, who had um, apprehended a thief or a burglar at some point, caught them uh, climbing out of the window. Now, uh, the clergyman in present, as an, uh, an ex university hockey player, he, he was. And quite fit, and he overpowered this person, and he got them pinned to the ground. And a friend had gone for the police, so the victory would have been won. He'd actually, you know, that was the end, if you like, of that person's freedom. It, the police were going to take him into custody when they arrived, but he managed to sort of uh, uh, allow him to let one arm go, who managed to reach out and biff him straight in the face uh, and made his nose bleed. And his illustration, he'd use this in illustration frequently. Yes, the power had been taken away but the war wasn't quite damage that could be done, but the power had been taken away. We work for peace because Jesus taught us a prayer that his kingdom should come on earth as in heaven, but we're a compromised people because we have to work in a system where there is evil and it will still be there. And how would you combat it? a great deal of respect for the Christian pacifist movement, but do you never resist evil with some form of strength? Archbishop William Temple, who was Archbishop during the Second World War, wrote it, uh, just, uh, wrote it just at the start of the Second World War to a friend and said he was wholly committed to the decision that had been taken to go to war, yet he said, We recognise that this is all to do with the sin which we're all implicated. So the best thing we can still do is still a bad thing. It's still a bad thing. A sober recognition of a duty undertaken in the knowledge that it might be the best thing to do in an imperfect world. A refusal of high pressure, high temperature rhetoric about heroism and chivalry. There was a lot less of that in the Second World War than there was in the First World War you wouldn't have got that talk from the troops at the front. It's part of what made the experience of the Second World War very different from the First World War. You hadn't got the jingoism of people at home thinking it's, um, it's knights going to the battle and fighting for the glory of civilization. It was the least bad thing to be done because war in itself never produces a positive good although it can restrain worse evils. But today when we look on the news, our modern news gathering technology brings us into the front line. We can see and we can lie in the ruined house. We can hide from snipers behind a wall in, in Ukraine. We can see the building and the dust rising where we're told six families lie dead, blown to pieces and crushed in the collapse. And as the memory fades in the here in Britain, of the Blitz and what it was like to be in that, we're in danger now of simply becoming merely an observer of the suffering of others. But, in Daniel's passage, final victory is assured. It will be destroyed. You will get there. When we move over to the War Memorial, um, after the, uh, the final hymn, I'll read out a selection of the names. It won't be all of them because far too many. So in fact, Ruth Fittred divided them in half. And so I've got the the second half, as it were, and the first half will be next year. Um, But, you know, all of those and I think they are all men over there. They died before the end of the war. They died before seeing the final victory. They died in hope. They died in a hope of the final victory. Now that's what we have. We have a hope of the final victory. But we can, we're in a better position than Daniel because when Jesus was taken into heaven, there in Acts, if you remember, Jesus ascends in a cloud. And this cloud is a, it, almost invariably in the Bible is about the glory of God. You know, Don't think of a cumulonimbus or something like that. It's somehow or other. Been, the glory of God has enveloped somebody or something. You know, we have it um, at the Transfiguration in the New Testament as well. And this glory hid Jesus from their sight. that they interpret quite correctly because that's the way the Old Testament would teach them to do it. It's at the cloud of God's glory. And just as the In Daniel, one like a son of man comes to the Ancient of Days in the clouds. So Jesus goes in the clouds to his father. But then you might remember in the text, an angel says to the disciples standing there, "Uh, what are you standing staring up into heaven for? This Jesus will come again in like way to the way you've seen him go. In other words, to the disciples, He will come to you in the same way as you've seen him go. As you have seen him in glory go, so you will will see him in glory come as well. And that vision of Daniel was the the Son of Man, if you like, of Jesus, coming to the Heavenly Father who receives dominion and power and glory as Jesus receives. And the important thing about all of it is that he returns in glory. The dominion and the power, if you like, is taken for granted. Ultimately, all things will be subject to his feet. We don't see it all at the moment. We still have to celebrate Remembrance Sunday. We still have tragedies. We still have human beings doing unspeakable things to other human beings but there will be an end and there will be a victory. For Jesus has returned in like manner to share the glory of God. And Saint John knew it very clearly and uh, we'll get this at Christmas, of course, in one of the Christmas Gospels. And we beheld his glory like to a son of God. John had seen it, we can see it. The glory of God that shines around. The glory of God, Saint Saint Irenaeus, is a human being fully alive and it's a very different definition of glory from a reputation run, won by being an aggressor on the battlefield or even a successful defender. Glory is life, integrity, humanity, wholeness. Glory for the Christian is intimately tied into the sharing of Christ's glory because it also involves the sharing of his death and his resurrection. And if we're aware of that, both in peace and in war, glory will be something deeper and much more complex, but more lasting and more true than some of the definitions of glory that those who love war would like us to cling to. And we beheld his glory as of an only Son of God but stay with his glory.